Hi. Man, I did not think this was going to work. I was like, oh, it's well, not going to work. I don't know. I was very, Just being like, cynical or? Yeah, pr- pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I was being non-optimistic about this because I did not think my text skills were up to par. So. Yeah, I was just, I mean, there's lots of like little snafus that run into all these different things. So it makes sense. I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this or had the same of... expectation. Yeah. Okay. So how are you? Like, I feel like we have not I'm good. How are you? It's good to a... hear your voice. Yeah. We have not spoken in a while. Like, I feel like yeah. it's been Although a couple. <laughs> you, you sent off that, um, that message about the Nutcracker, which made me very excited. Yeah. We still need to figure that out, too. We need yeah, to. I, I, just, I first saw that Neil can't get the text messages. So, um, oh yeah, that's right. That's how that ended. I forgot. Yeah, no, I think we should do it over WhatsApp or something, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so I have some questions for you today. So thank you for yeah. doing this. I know this has kind of been oh, like yeah. a conversation we've had for a while about doing <laughs> it's literally, <laughs> we talked about it doing it in June and it's what November. <laughs> so uh, yeah, almost yeah. November, but I mean, that's how these things go, you know, like, uh, so with COVID and everything, it's it's weird because we've lost some of our communication in terms of just like bonding with people and understanding like things are okay, things are messy, and everybody's going through the same thing. And you don't think anybody mm. else is going through it, but in reality, you ask somebody and they're like, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it feels like everybody has their life together, but then you ask them and they're like, no, I have $3. Right. And you pull back savings. the curtain for one inch and everyone's like, oh, that's a mess back there too. Oh, geez. Exactly. And I think it's like hard because we're not seeing people in person. I know we have a yeah. an age gap, but not significant enough where you're not, no. you're still yeah, experiencing yeah. things that. I don't feel like our worldviews are so separate that you and I are having a vastly different experience or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. But we're also like young enough where we're missing. I, we feel like we're missing out on some milestones, if that makes sense. Like, sure. I feel like sure. we can't be it's not like you can go to a concert very easily nowadays. You can't just go to the bar and walk around and meet people. It's, it's no, yeah, different. Not at all. And so this was kind of like an idea in terms of just connecting with people. Um, I can't take like you're in school, I'm in school and something that's yeah. very common is out to coffee or you take your peers out to coffee, you get lunch. Sure, yeah. That's no longer a thing. So it's kind of like, this is helping bridge that gap and having those conversations in a safe environment with no expectations so I kind of wanted to get your point um you have a very interesting perspective on life um which I to be honest I've had the most intellectual conversations with you I think out of every other person that well that's because you um, and I lucked out when we were doing that job together it's like oh so you someone else studied philosophy oh you're studying it right now oh okay what do I you know. think about this this guy and this person yeah, and we we bond, I feel like that whole scenario too. We we all got really close really fast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Logan and I worked at SAS. <laughs> it's a high school and middle school um, in Seattle. But you and I, we it was a COVID job. That was the whole reason why it was. It was a hybrid right. learning experience, and they needed extra bodies and they kind yeah. of accumulated grad and undergrad students. I feel like I was kind of one of the younger ones. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. And it was interesting because we all, usually you kind of have a weird like ice breaking like week or two. We never had that. I feel like it was like a day mm-hmm. and all of a sudden after like lunch, we were all like, like okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah. We were all like super, <laughs> go do your job. super friendly and like, yeah, and we just kind of got let let loose, and so um, sure. that was and that's true. It's not just that we were doing the job fast, but you're right. We all we all did kind of clamor to one another relatively quickly because I think all of us, for like, uh, you know, it had been, uh, you know, for some of us like six months or so before, like like since they had had consistent contact with people in the flesh. So I think there was there was a really big kind of like reunion feeling of like, oh my god. I- set so low for like what would count as like friendly conversation or for like who could count as a friend that it was really easy to feel camaraderie because it's like the second you'd be like I like Spongebob be like you like Spongebob and then that would be three hours of conversation because you're just you really needed it yeah you did yeah Yeah. we sure did and it was like very fast fast friendships very quickly and to be honest I think that's why 
like we've only we haven't even known each other for a year but I would consider you one of my really good friends and I think just having that shared experience um and having some type of like you're feeling like you just jumped off the deep end and for me that what it kind of felt like that like I was so isolated we were so isolated especially Mm. um I was in school still and I was doing online classes I was not having any connections and it was just like once you had that little bit of like hey we want friends too it was just like oh it was like bon voyage it was very quickly um so I want to I got some questions um could you kind of go over your major and degree kind of like where you're going and kind of what your what's your strategic plan in terms of like where you want to go with your career just kind of reiterate oh yeah sure um, so I studied philosophy at Seattle University and graduated in 2020. And then I sort of had a somewhat of a, a shift in terms of my direction when I would say near the end of junior year, because up until that point, um, I had really been expecting and been really, really excited at the prospect of doing PhD in philosophy because I was really, really interested in teaching um, and still am to a large extent. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but many of the, 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 the professors at SU who, whom I, you know, I value their, their opinion immensely, not just because, uh, you know, I enjoy them as human beings, but also I, you know, I, I trust their, their knowledge in this area. Um, every professor that I would run into when we would have these conversations, including my advisor, including, you know, other people on the, on the, the philosophy department um, would kind of like, we would, we would get to talking and I would say what I wanted to do. And, and everyone would kind of like grimace, like, oh yeah, I mean, that's great. You know, philosophy, like if you want to go on and do that, that's great. And then they would kind of, everyone had basically the same parameters that they would list out and be like, okay, so I'm not going to tell you not to pursue a PhD in philosophy. I'm not going to tell you not to, but Logan, here's what I'm going to do. And they would kind of go on to tell me that, um, so first thing, like, you know, world's smallest violin, cue that up. But like, because you're a white male going into higher level echelons and, you know, philosophy academia, ironically, you'll actually have a really hard time because most of the places, at least in the United States, um, that are doing the kind of philosophy work that I would be interested in doing are, you know, really trying to diversify, um, which is really important. <laughs> and I, it's not something that I begrudge for a second. But because of that, since historically speaking, philosophy has been nothing but white dudes for forever. Um, nowadays, I, I run into this issue of um, if I'm not you know, the most genius thing that some of these people on the application committees have seen, um, bear in mind, we know that you love the idea of it now, but PhDs in philosophy are really hard and not just like academically speaking. The thing that my advisor kind of had me really stew on. He's like, I just want you to understand, like, um, you know, I, I have a marriage coming up here and he, and he knew that. And he's like, I want you to understand that, like, you know, you're about to make a decision and you'll get into a school somewhere. And, you know, maybe it's in the middle of Georgia. Like, you don't even know. It could be somewhere that you've never thought you'd live. And, uh, you know, now you're suddenly, con- you know, thinking about uprooting your whole life, you and your partner's life to go to the middle of this, of this town and study somewhere for, you know, whatever, four or five years. And he's, he just kind of said, it's, it's really lonely. And like, yeah, the work is great. And, you know, hopefully you'll be with a cohort that you like, or, you know, you have a few other students that you enjoy, your, your professors that, you know, theoretically you would have chosen those schools because you, you really enjoy the work that they're doing. But all that being said, you know, at the end of the day, it's a tremendous amount of time reading and writing alone. Um, and he kind of just made sure to remind me like, yeah, I know you think you're doing that now as an undergrad, but like, I want you, like, it's going to be <laughs> a league, a league unto its own when you do this as a PhD. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the last thing that kind of really started to make me consider whether or not I wanted to do uh, PhD in philosophy to the extent that I wanted to teach was, he's like, so let's say you get through this, which it's, you know, questionable whether you will. Let's say you get into a school that's you know, remotely in a town that, you know, you'll enjoy living in and, and, and your and your to-be wife will enjoy living in. Let's say you get past these two big hurdles. And then let's say you get through the PhD itself and you graduate and you're doing great and you defend some thesis and, you know, yeah, you did it. After all that, where are you going to teach? Where mm-hmm. are you going to go? Because yeah. philosophy departments are, you know, compared to 
anything STEM, right? Like these are really, really they small departments well. and, and they're not funded and, and you know, the slots are taken. And, and so even if I found a spot, there's no guarantee it could be like, you know, that's a career move, which means that, you know, like it would be one thing to, um, to study philosophy somewhere in a town that maybe, uh, you know, this is not my, you know, forever town, my forever home. But like, it's one thing to do a degree where, you know, it's like, okay, well, there's a five year, like, or a four year stamp on this. Like, I, I only, I'm only going to be here for that amount of time. But theoretically, you know, you would want to go somewhere to teach that's like, I, you know, I could have a career here. And so thinking about the prospect, like my advisor told me is like, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be back in the Pacific Northwest. And I just had to take a job. I taught in Atlanta, Georgia for 16 years, just waiting, just wow. teaching and just hoping that something would open up. And then finally, you know, something did at SU. Anyway, so, so all these, all these large conversations, which, you know, again, they happened with the most compassion. There was lots of laughter and everyone was trying not to make me feel afraid or trying to, you know, not trying to kind of bully me out of doing it. A lot of my takeaway was, I was like, okay. Um, so I really enjoy philosophy. I feel like the reading and writing I've done over the last, you know, at this point, the last three years, or, you know, I was starting my senior years, like all this stuff has meant the world to me. I didn't choose philosophy because I thought it would, you know, put a lot of money in the bank. I chose it because I thought it was important. Um, all of this being said, you know, I, I now I do have to face some kind of realistic picture of what the future is going to be like. And, and part of that picture has to involve me paying for bills and, you know, uh, helping me and my you know wife, like have a life and buy a home someday or whatever we want to do. And it's looking like, the road uh, to professorship is going to be a shaky one. So yeah. all that, all that is to say that, so at the same time, it just so happened that, you know, when I chose to study at uh, philosophy at SU as an undergrad, um, it just, it happened. I didn't choose it because of this reason, but as I was talking to people at the philosophy department there, as I was choosing the school, that, that it turned out that uh, the school kind of leans phenomenologically. It just happens that a lot of the, the professors in the, in the philosophy department, in the psychology department, are interested in people like, you know, like Husserl and Heidegger and Nietzsche. Well, Nietzsche's a soft phenomenologist. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, Merleau-Ponty. And at the time, like, I'd, I'd, I'd read really, really sparingly all, a few of those names, but I was like, oh, that's interesting, whatever. As I did my undergrad, um, you know, I, I took some courses that I took a you know undergrad phenomenology course. Some of the some of the other classes like you know things would pop up in ethics. There would be a, you know one article that had a, a phenomenologist saying this or that. It just it kind of just kept appearing, and I I def I definitely felt tempted like like allured by the stuff that I was reading, and mm -hmm. so um, I think you know I don't know sophomore junior year I became aware of uh, SU has like it's like one of like I don't know like three it's like SU and then. Duquesne in Pittsburgh and I think there might be one school in Texas that does this really weird really cool it's a clinical psychology masters but it's in it specializes in existential phenomenological psychology so yeah. basically it's like it's like all the philosophy that I loved reading and writing but it's oriented to doing therapy and so I, I like at first when I found out about it, I was like oh man I would love to do that but you know darn it I don't want to be a therapist so I guess I'll you know I'll wring my hands of that and uh now, you know, I don't know, like, like, oh, darn, could have been could have been so perfect. But then I was having these conversations with my professors and everyone's kind of telling me like, dude, don't do the PhD. Like, that's like, they're all, I just feel like they're all being like, you don't know, what, like, it's like, we, we were just kind of these shell shock professors that like, yeah, they had finally landed, but they were like, man, you don't know what you're in for. So I was like, mm -hmm. feeling scared and taking all these phenomenology courses. And I was minoring as in, in psychology. And I kind of just, I don't know, this, this master's kind of just, it kept like fluttering in front of my face. And I would look at it and then I would get scared because I was like, I don't, I don't see myself as a therapist. Like, I don't, I've never thought about that before. And then I would push it away. And then a month would go by and I would read, you know, I'd read something or something would happen in a class and then it would come back up in my face and they would be like, Hey, think about this. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to be a therapist. And then the, the nail on the final nail on the coffin, uh, I said that already, I probably have, uh, <laughs> it was senior year. And it was like one of my last big conversations with my advisor. And he was watching me really grapple with, you know, do I do this PhD or do I make this weird plunge into this master's program? And he could see that I didn't know what to do. And he could see that I was, I was kind of equally pulled in both directions. And the thing that hit me in the conversation, whole conversation was, it's like one of those, like, I think we all have these conversations that kind of like they're etched in stone after we have them. You think back on them for years. It might be with a, 
you know, I don't know, some, a crush you had in high school and you're on, you know, like the lookout peak. And it's so like, like we all have these kind of iconic conversations at different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some are romantic, some are, some are with our parents, some are with our siblings. And this was just like, I don't know, it's like kind of like someone you consider a mentor or kind of a guide in your life. And mm -hmm. we sat in his office and he made tea and we talked. And at the end he said, I just, I want something to be really clear. He didn't say this like this is starkly, but he, I just, I remember it being very <laughs> serious. And he's like, just like, look, there are a lot of ways to do philosophy. And teaching is just one of those ways. And then he kind of, you know, depicted this, he like kind of did this, like this little, he like did a play, like a rendition of what my life could be if I, if I chose this path doing this master's. He's like, you know what, like, let's say you, you pick this master's and you, you get through it and you, and you, and you, you graduate and you love it and you go out and you start taking patients and, you know, maybe you're taking several patients a week and you're enjoying it and you're, you're starting to pay back some of those student loans and you do that for a few years and, and maybe you're, you know, maybe you're really happy. Maybe you're, maybe you're content or all these, all these things, but like maybe after a while you go, okay, you know what, now I'm going to look into, you know, I have a master's. I could teach at a community college if I want to, or I, or I could at least look into that as a, as an avenue, or mm -hmm. maybe, you know, after a few years, I, you know, I reopened that, that door to maybe doing a PhD. He kind of just, he, I don't know. He just, he took off the, this crisis emergent feeling that I had to pick right then and there. And that if I didn't, that if I wasn't picking one or the other, that it was like, you know, all right, now you're, it's done. He kind of, he reminded me that like, like all these things are tacit and, and reworkable and changeable. And, and he made me feel less afraid. Mm -hmm. And so that's, so, so I chose the masters. And so I just, and I'm just now about finished with my first quarter in, in the existential phenomenological psychology program. And uh, I love it. I'm I'm over the moon about it. It's it's tremendously difficult, and I'm definitely nervous about, you know, aspects of my two B career. But I I have no doubts that I that I chose the right path, at least for now. Um, so sorry, that's a long long answer of no, how I got here. That's fantastic. And just to kind of like reiterate, for someone who's known you personally, you are mm -hmm. the most intuitive person I have ever met. I remember very vividly us sitting down. And you would profile us, like just who is <laughs> you're going to be sitting... like a psycho. <laughs> no, but for okay, for someone who is in that same type of degree pattern, and I've studied psychology and I've studied sociology, mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm pursuing, yeah, really I'm also pursuing a PhD just in a different department, right? Um, but right. has similar similar similarities, I guess. Um, but yes. I remember very vividly we'd be sitting eating lunch. There'd be like nine of us sitting in an empty classroom and you profiled me and I have never felt so like you were so intelligent like the 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 fact that you could just do that and you honestly made me think of how I viewed myself very differently um it just made me feel better about myself because I like you called me bashful which was something that I would have never categorize myself ever <laughs> ever conversations that we had that's how you that's how you analyzed me sure, and sure. that was very interesting that you that was kind of like how you took it and how you explained that was so warm and so thoughtful and so academically proven like you used <laughs> evidence to like kind of I be like proved you were bashful <laughs> pretty much and I've never had anybody do that even in like if I had my own therapy it was never that intense and I love the fact that you were so intense and I think I almost appreciate that more someone who comes from a very large academic background I don't like the fluffy stuff I like people to be if someone to academically view me is mm -hmm. the best the best compliment I feel like um and I think your journey in terms of just like understanding where you want to be in life, what you want to get out of life. It's kind of frustrating because you're not, we're, okay, you're at a okay. quarter of your life. Like you, you, we still have literally majority of our lifespan left and it's crazy to think yes. that way. But in reality, that's what it is. We we're very, we're not even halfway done, you know? And so taking yes. in that thought process, like you still have years and let's say you do, enjoy therapy to a certain extent and you like creating those connections and helping others you have so much more experience to go off of if you did end up teaching you know you could use those experiences yeah. to kind yeah, of yeah. like share and i believe that if a professor had experience working in either law or 
they did research or they did therapy, that kind of stuff. I like listening to them personally talk about their experiences and their stories and their scenarios. This is how I learned this because experience and reading, like you could read all the books in the world and you could gain that knowledge, but there's a difference Mm -hmm. between experience and writing your own book. You know what I mean? Um, And it's a whole, remember the whole publish or perish thing, right? Um, In the, right. When, when you're getting your, when you're getting your PhD, kind of, this gives you kind of a chance to get that if you do end up going towards your PhD later down the road. Um, it no, allows you to be able to have true. time to, to write, um, get those editors, get those references, those, those books mm-hmm. take time. Um, I'm going through that yeah, right no now. Question. I'm trying to figure, figure that out um, in terms of publications and it's stressful. It's, it's not something that I enjoy, yeah. but it's, you feel like, I feel like, especially in our academic field, it's very different than the STEM sciences. And it's very, it's interdisciplinary sciences. That's what it is, social science. And Mm. I feel like sometimes they don't view that as science um, in terms of when you talk to people who are in like biology, medical fields or whatnot, they don't get a whole lot of funding. Um, And like you said, it's it's been historically um, a lot of white male. I am as well white, but I am a woman. So I do get some leverage there. Um, Unfortunately, I do not. In terms of like how we don't get a whole lot of funding. And that's honestly, I remember probably about, I haven't, we haven't spoken since this whole conversation um, previously, but I was going towards, I was looking Mm. towards an anthropology degree, getting my PhD in anthropology. And I had a similar conversation with a professor and he was like, yeah, don't do that. Like, absolutely not. Um, I wanted Off to do socio-cultural anthropology. And he was like, just do sociology. Why, why would you go through anthropology? Um, and he pretty much had the same thing. Well, why did you not want enough to? funding. I wanted to study humans. And okay. anthropology was a large enough department. And yeah, it had course. such a broad spectrum that I could kind of... Right. I could constant, I could be consistently changing my target audience. And I could be... I could be publishing to different journals and instead of just one journal, you know? Um, right. So you liked this part of the scope of it was what kind yeah. of drew, I mean, I'm sure there was more, but okay. That's interesting. Yes. The scope. I like the scope. Um, and, and then now I'm looking, everything changed very quickly. Um, and I think yeah. same in your boat, it changes very quickly. Yeah. Like you, you're constantly changing your view almost very drastically it's like one you could be having an entire different perspective you could go get coffee with one of your professors or somebody you look up to and they could give you some advice and all of a sudden you're like okay i'm not doing that and you have to change your Mm -hmm. whole view and it's it it feels like it's going really slow but at the same time it's going very fast um and i've changed my my degree focus towards a sociology degree um and i would have never thought i would be in that um using that utilizing that type of lens beforehand so um, i did not realize i could be studying ethics and theory and whatnot in sociology even though i knew um that makes sense so kind of like what in terms of like the master's and like what is your actual like what are you studying in terms of that master's degree um like what is like how is that different than normal psychology like mm. in terms of that? No, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough question too. It's what, it's kind of a, uh, the cohort and I had a midterm um, uh, two, three weeks back. And uh, for one of our courses, it was five questions that we, there's five pairs of questions and you got to choose one of the pair for each, each section. And it's a one page essay per question. And the final question was, um, think out of the two questions one of the options was like what is phenomenology and why are we studying it and um it's a huge question and the funny thing is that it seems like it should be obvious if someone's in a program a master's program that's that's all about it but it was a really challenging question um so so okay so it's a great i'm happy that i have another chance to to mull this over um in dialogue so I'm, I'm in this program, Existential Phenomenological Psychology, and it's, I would say it's couched right between, um, and it nestles right between like 
most people's common conceptions of philosophy and most people's common, common conceptions of psychology. It's right in the middle. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is, is practically in terms of, uh, of uh, like, you know, vocation and career path and, and in practice, it's psychology because all of us in our cohort, we will go on, we go on to do, you know, counseling work or psychotherapy or, you know, um, uh, other forms of, you know, people, you know, have, I've already kind of talked about doing specialized therapy. It's, people are interested in doing music therapy and play therapy. So it's all oriented around and it's clinical psychology. So that mm -hmm. is the, that's the bedrock of what we're doing. However, in terms of the overriding methods and theories and techniques that will inform our individual, you know, um, takes on doing therapy, that is where the philosophy is. And that's, that's kind of what initially drew me. And as I'm, you know, we're concluding this first quarter, I'm also getting, you know, I'm, I'm swooning over the, the therapeutic and the clinical side as well, which I'm tremendously happy. Cause obviously if that was not, you know, if that didn't feel like a meat, a fit for me at this point, I think that I would consider that somewhat of a, you know, maybe not a red flag, but an orange flag. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, but, you honestly didn't share that type of, like, right beforehand that was not something that you that was something that you were looking down upon right that was not something that you wanted to <laughs> venture into and now you're yeah. now you're enjoying it so it was like I wanted to go to this master's because I wanted to do the reading I was like oh this too like whatever yeah it was definitely I was nervous about it I didn't know what to think of it and yeah I definitely had a had, had a change of mind uh you know having since began but so it's it's therapy which means that it's um you know it's dialogues uh, in class about, you know, healing, I guess would be like kind of the, the broadest word to use. And one teacher, even at some point, kind of in the, in the initial part of the quarter, had to kind of, well, she didn't have to, but she chose, she elected to ask us, what do you think of that word healer? Like, how does that sit with you? And a lot of us were like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever consider myself that. This seems kind of weird. It's like, it seems kind of hokey or it seems kind of like crackpotty. So it's, it's weird to use that kind of term, but at some point, because of the kind of therapy that we're all learning, at some point your hands are tied and you're like, well, I don't know what else I would call myself. So, so the thing is that none of the psychology, it's not behavioral and it's not, it's not strictly cognitive. Um, it's not neuropsychology. Um, it's not, you know, like it's, it's not your customary clinical psychology program. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing is there are an elect, you know, good, like sturdy handful of philosophers that have all like, I don't know, since the end of the 19th century and maybe some a little bit beforehand, but like basically from Kierkegaard upward, there's a whole kind of slew of philosophers that have been writing either implicitly or explicitly. They have been writing philosophy sort of that perfectly segues into the therapeutic dimension. We'll call it that. And so a lot of this psychology is interesting when you're talking about, you know, um, how the sciences, you know, the STEM sciences, how they kind of view philosophy and the liberal arts in general, and that there is kind of often this like the STEM, like we're the serious stuff over here, like, you know, computer programming and, and uh, you know, it, it, like all this stuff right now, biology, chemistry, like that stuff's getting a lot of funding. It gets to take itself very seriously. And, and I, 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 I'm not trying to say that I have any bad blood, you know, with these programs at all. But the situation right now is that those are like the 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 real for <laughs> the real degrees, and then the liberal arts stuff you do if you're like a hope kind of like a hopeless romantic like oh I studied creative writing because I'm content working at Starbucks for the rest of my life but like really love right like that's kind of how we view it. Um, so alongside that way of thinking about things, um, the interesting thing about this program is that a lot of psychology programs, I mean, I'm gonna generalize here a little bit. Um, a lot of psychology programs just sort of, we'll just limit it to North America. Like psychology is still very, very avidly as a discipline, trying to kind of shake its fist at the sky and be like, you know, we're, we're as serious as the sciences. Like, like we, we can tell, we can predict things. Like I can, you know, I can, I can guarantee you that, you know, if, if I mean, whether it's conditioning or behaviorism, like we can, I can tell you that if you ate a chicken salad sandwich yesterday, that tomorrow you're going to be going to Dune. Like, like, peak, like there are people that are really, really avidly still trying to say like, no, we can, like, I can tell you, I can look at your brain. And if you have this much serotonin and this little dopamine and, and this much cortisol that, you know, that will lead to, you know, you will have schizophrenia tomorrow. Like, you know, people 
are still really avidly trying to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And and my, I don't want to denigrate that endeavor per se. I will, however, say that the psychology that I'm studying right now, essentially, as much as it, as it can, and there are some limits to this, I suppose, it washes its hands of the idea that it has to be contending in the same category as the hard sciences. It, like the philosophers that we're reading, the psychologists that we're reading are kind of just trying to, they're, they're saying, like, look, <laughs> uh, they're like looking back on the history of psychology, almost kind of like, 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 a, like a, a, a parent kind of just like looking down at like a problem child, like, look, I love you, but like, I can see where you went wrong. Like they look back and they see how psychology was trying to be, you know, considered, you know, like a real endeavor, you know, like, and they watch its trajectory and they're like, yeah, it's tragic. But at the end of the day, and this is what they want to say, like the human experience is something unique unto itself. And if we're going to try to study it or understand it in the same way that you're going to understand a quark or, you know, velocity or, or, or a proton, like, that's going to lead to certain assumptions about what a human being is and how they work and why and what and what matters if it matters at all and so they kind of just say we're going to go in a different direction we're going to we're going to make this a uniquely human science so to speak and like that's going to be our launching pad so all the studying that we're doing this quarter i'm in four classes um all of them kind of take it as a given that human beings cannot be understood in the same way that, you know, I mean, not that we don't have similarities, of course we do. And then some of the similarities might be very, very enlightening, but we're gonna assume that human beings experience is unique and, and we can't necessarily look at the animal kingdom or at the greater universe and, and think that this is a, the same kind of thing that's happening. So a lot of the therapy that I think I'm gearing up to do based off the reading that we're doing, the lessons that we're having. And like the second year in the program is like all like clinical stuff, doing internships and, and all that fun stuff. But all of it kind of rests in the idea that the therapeutic situation is one, like, it's, it's a great question because I feel like I, I'm struggling to find the, like the best way to answer it. Um, well, I guess first and foremost that a person doesn't come as some kind of broken down toy that the therapist as the toy maker kind of like gets out the little hammer and like, you know, hammers the pegs back in and gets out the oil can and oils the hinges and then sends the toy back on its way. Like that's that model that there's this great displacement in, in sort of power and, um, uh, and, and in status, I guess is, is radically sort of revisioned, I think in a lot of the Mm -hmm. therapy that, that I'll be doing. So the therapist and the client are, are interwoven together. They this they enter a relationship together. And that doesn't mean that the client or the therapist is, is in therapy in the same way that the client is, but it means that this relationship is di- is dynamic and it's mutual. It's not a one-way street. And that, you know, the betterment of the client is a lot more holistic. And I, I understand that, that that kind of amounts to not saying very much. No, I think that's a good way of putting it, because a lot of times okay. you think of you think of like medical clinical work, which is right. in the lines of what you're working on, and and you think of it as like a patient to the provider, right? And that's it's not it's not that right. Like that's not what you're trying. To, you're trying. There's a relationship, and a lot of times that relationship is excluded from. In, in terms of historical reference, we've excluded that right. relationship. Um, and this is the idea of bringing that back in terms of a therapy and into an analysis and giving a different view that has a bit more empathy to, towards it and allowing judgment to be empathetical. Um, I would which... also say too, I, I don't know why I didn't mention this, but like one thing that many people will be more familiar with outside of my rambling is like so it's, it's also it's a humanistic psychology which like mm-hmm. and if if anyone here has taken like intro to psych or um maybe a, a, a theories uh a personality course like you know humanistic psychology yeah like a behavioral history. studies right or it's i'm trying to think like you know carl rogers is like humanistic and like this unconditional positive regard like um in, in some respect maslow is also humanistic because like 
his hierarchy of needs, the fact that it ends with, um, what is his term? Um, it's not um, self-actualization is what it is. Like, like so the, the idea that fundamentally a human being's experience like is always revolving around the sun of like purpose and meaning. But these are two huge things that more so than, than neurotransmitters and con conditioned patterns, but fundamentally human beings, we have free will we're 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 thrown into this strange universe and we're trying to make sense of it in ways that feel meaningful and purposeful to to our lives so i would say that's also foundational to all the therapy that we're doing which means that a lot of the time the kinds of stuff that comes out in therapy sessions in this line of work is better understanding how the client you know like i would say it's very it's very seldom explanatory this line of of, of psychology is that it's there's no cause effect relationship that's really ever delineated. And I think that's a big departure from the predictive science that other brands of psychology are aiming for. This is much more descriptive and it's trying to be illuminating of the experience of the client. So going back to maybe what I, I, I feel bad almost about how I understand that you didn't describe it in a bad light, but it still feels, uh, I hope I didn't come off as alienating, but I remember us talking. I don't remember, I don't remember calling you bashful, but, but I do remember us having a great conversation where I had, I had given my take on how I, yeah, how I perceived you. And I do remember it being sort of like, I remember your eyes lighting up and you, you know, it's kind of being a little like, it's kind of that vague embarrassment when you feel like someone is like, pointed at you and like said something about how you like it's weird to have someone kind of like put a spotlight on you and be like you are this I see this as you and whether you agree or not um, yeah. it's, it's it's bizarre to have someone you know uh highlight you in that way but mm -hmm. yeah I, I thought that was a great conversation and partly because I, I mean obviously because it was it was received well and it, I remember that like we had a good conversation after the fact but in that way in that conversation that we had what might have felt meaningful to you in that moment is that me as as this other person in a conversation, I said something about what my experience was like, and you heard it and then, you know, sort of took it in and absorbed it. And then as you ruminated on it for those, I mean, obviously it was kind of a quick, you know, it wasn't like you were sitting there for 10 minutes in silence, no. but like as you <laughs> assimilated that consideration, you have a chance now to, you had a chance to consider like, you know, is this meaningful? Like, does this change uh, something about how I can view my relationship to the world or my relationship to other people? And maybe in that moment, it was a new consideration that you're like, man, I never thought that I could be viewed as this way by someone else. And maybe by hearing that, by hearing that you can be perceived as such such a way by someone else, you know, you, there's this, there's this, this awful uh, German, well, shit, is it German? I'm sure it comes from a German word if it's not German, but this word that Husserl uses called, it's a, when we view things in the world, in our experience, we get an adumbration of it, which is like, so like one of the examples that is often given when we're talking about this is like, let's say you and I are walking down the street in some neighborhood in Seattle and we're walking down the road and there are, it's a little neighborhood. And on the, on the rights and lefts, we have houses that are you know, lining the street. And so when we look at the house, that view of that house with so the front door and the porch in front of us and the windows and you know all that different stuff that's one adumbration it's one angle it's one perspective however we know that in that one view the rest of the house is somehow implied or intimated by that one view like it's not as if when we look at the house we see like you know one of those uh cardboard like cutouts that you use for plays that are, that are two-dimensional like that's not how we experience it when we see one view somehow we still know that that one view implies the greater whole. And so maybe in the same way, when you and I are talking and I say something about how I feel you're kind of like this and like that, you're now given one, it's like, you know, Sophie had of, uh, you know, supposedly let's say in your, in your, in your sense of yourself, you have a collection of these different views that you take on who you are. And maybe in that moment, I just like, it's like I threw one more into that pile and you're like, well, holy shit. Like, I, if I now have this angle on myself, what what other things does this imply about who I am or who I could be? Um, I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, but, that was um, fantastic. That was actually spot on to how I felt when you utilize that type of perception on me um, and coming from somebody who I think so fondly over um, as a friend, it was, it was heartwarming and just kind of eye-opening to see what because again, as humans, we are consistently judging. That's just our nature is to yeah. judge others. It's a it's a survival 
instinct. It's natural. We judge others. We see what they wear. We see how they act. We see how they walk. It's that's just basic nature. And right. We judge each other. And I feel like sometimes when we judge each other and we vocalize, verbalize that and it's, it's comes off negative. Um, But in your case, when you analyzed me or you, you gave me your perception of me, I felt Mm -hmm. it not negatively, but more as like a, like subconscious, like you're reading a subconscious, something that I do that I don't realize I'm doing. Um, Sure. And it, it wasn't negative. It was very positive. And I felt it something as kind of like a euphoria is kind of like, oh, I had no idea. And I remember after our conversation, I was like reading it. I was like watching kind of almost like, how do I naturally talk to people? And I'm like, oh, I can see what he, <laughs> you mean. Like, I don't always, I'm in, I'm very outgoing in terms of conversation, but I don't, I withhold some things that I'm that I'm trying to elaborate on and so and that just comes from past fears and past conceptions of how people sure, see sure. me and how what they want to hear I don't want to give them too much information but also let's um, be clear here though is that I, I I don't hope and I hope that in the time I didn't do this I I don't mean to say something diagnostically about how, how you are period I think one thing that I you know, I mean, I don't necessarily have to relate this to my to my degree or, or the people that I'm reading, even though I think I, I take it from that. But, you know, I think like who I'm being with you right now, I mean, like we all know the word persona and it, I think persona mm-hmm. is often used in this way that we have personas for, <clears throat> you know, our, our parents, for our work, for our friends. Yes. And, and I, I guess, I, I guess that's part of what I'm talking about. I, I guess I just, I find the word persona. It's like we say, we say, the word persona and we're all kind of supposed to like nod our heads like okay yeah so we we understand what we're talking about but but like you know when we were talking it was probably more that or i mean it was as much me i guess you know admitting something about myself as much as i was trying to discover something about you like it Mm -hmm. might be that you and i together might mean a bashful sophie and and that has probably as much to do with me as much to do with you. It might be that when you're talking to your professors on UW or back when you could go on campus and, and do all that fun stuff, but like, mm-hmm. it might be that people, if people were to hear that, be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? This this girl standing before me, this woman standing before me is not a bashful you know, human being. I see a, you know, a level-headed, strong-willed, you know, yada, yada, yada. And all those things would be equally as true. So certainly- No, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I, yeah. I found the word bashful a positive, not not as a negative. I found it positive. No, of course, just, but, but yeah. right. Right, right. Yeah, no, saying where you where you're getting the persona. Um, yeah, we I have very different your personality and how you change your voice. Again, you remember you have that. They call it the um, right. in terms of modernized your um, customer service. Right, when your oh, mom sure, yeah. answers the phone and it's a uh, it's the bank calling. Your the tone of voice right. changes. Your entire body language changes and so we change our personas based on who we're speaking to um yeah but as a friend i i that is something that i consider you as and it was interesting to how you related that kind of like analogy or that analysis to how i come across friends and that was Mm -hmm. very accurate and i i see myself that was something that i was noticing about myself but i can never really put a word to it um of how I was reacting to things and it's nothing negative again it was just that's how I come across and I thought that was coming from you who I respect very much so and from an intellectual perspective and just again as a friend and whatnot that was probably the best compliment um that someone could have ever gave me in in terms of Mm. like how you did it and I appreciate that and that was probably still to this day one of the best conversations <laughs> it was a good I guess, it was very I, random I was it was very yeah it was it a was. very quick conversation it was very it like was. sporadic and it was and i swear to this day i will always remember that conversation but it was a good conversation yeah um yeah. so we're just about up with time um but i do have one more quick question for you and okay how if someone was to go about going towards a higher education in the middle of maybe not per se your select degree sciences um it's very different and i feel like covid has affected that i'm someone who is at the end of my undergrad and i'm 
I'm just now getting ready to pursue a higher education. And that's, that's weird to say, because when people say higher education, they just assume bachelor's or maybe your master's, but um, I had an opposite experience where um, in terms, they didn't want you to pursue a PhD straightforward. They wanted you to pursue a master's. My case is I was going to pursue a master's and they're like, no, you need to just do your PhD. But again, very different. Well, because you're, you're, you're doing a PhD at, at UW still, right? Yeah, I'm getting a PhD. And don't they have that well, weird thing where they, they don't even do, it's like you can get a master's there, but it's like, it's a terminal master's and it works totally differently. And it's like, you can't even, you can't, you can't intentionally get a, a master's. You have to like, you have to like, uh, you have to do both. Like jump ship weird. while you're doing yeah. your PhD. And they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll throw you this master's for your time. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. It's it's different, and I'm I've decided to get my PhD in sociology, um, just because it allows yeah, me. A I bit think of, I think that's bit, super exciting. A bit more scope, and um, I'm right. looking into getting my JD as well. Um, there's what is that? when you're working on your juris doctorate, so it's a law degree. Oh, um, cool. So Jesus, yeah. when, what, <laughs> when are you gonna do all this? When, when where is the time? Um, for my I mean, I'm sure you'll two... do it, but that sounds like <laughs> so much theoretically my first two years will be working on my phd and working um through the university and then my second year my after my second year so my third year is technically i guess or your fourth year is your dissertation Uh because sometimes it takes it's not like a four year technically four year is what they have it as but in theoretic in like you could do your dissertation for 10 years and you're still technically don't have your phd you 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 do but at the same time you don't and so during those years you could travel you could do research you could be doing a visiting scholar program um and mm-hmm. at that time they i don't know i was talking to some professors and they were like mm, maybe we could figure help you figure out maybe doing part-time law school while you're working on your dissertation so then i would receive my juris doctorate and my phd around yeah, the same sounds time rad. Frame. sure so um it would just give me like we were talking about just like again, have to pay the bills, you know, and sometimes yeah. the PhD does not <laughs> allow that, um, which is no, crazy to think yeah. about. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But in terms of that, how would you give advice in terms of somebody like myself going towards or others going towards a higher education and they fear, again, paying the bills, but they have a passion towards something? How would you kind of give that advice um, in the social sciences and just kind of like staying focused and and again COVID does not help anything and just also learning how to communicate with others either through social media or just reaching out any advice to that (laughs) uh I know that's very broad but Uh, well I mean it's 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 a big question but that's because it's a big uh it's a big question um I I am the kind of person, uh, for better or for worse, and if I didn't have, you know, if I wasn't marrying someone who had a, a quote-unquote real job, maybe my perspective would be very different on this. So maybe my first advice is, you know, uh, get find a partner who has a lot of money. But I, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that helps, <laughs> but we can't you can't hold out for that. Um, I I do for better or for worse subscribe to the um, study something you love, not something that'll pay the bills. I I do. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's the smartest, <laughs> the smartest um, choice. But um, you know, this is like a not a smart thing to say because it's it's very vague. But like state of the world, the problems that I think we face as as a as a civilization of human beings, like a lot of those come from uh, choice after choice that people have made uh, of kind of setting aside their humanity and the things that make them feel joy and love and um, fellowship, you know, uh, mutual understanding. And you pursue sort of the practical to a fault, whether that's money or whether that's, uh, you know, industry to some extent, which I mean, how is that separate from money? But like, I, I think that I do think as naive as it sounds that the world ultimately would be a better place if more people chose paths that had to do with their, you know, emotional, mental, psychological, spiritual well-being first, and put us like, you know, like, 
you'll find a, you'll find a time to eat. You'll find you'll you'll figure out where to sleep. I know, and I know that sounds stupid. And and this is only this is I guess maybe me coloring just where my where my feeling is coming from when I answer this question. But I would always advocate that someone choose the thing that feels meaningful to them, even if it doesn't feel as practical. I think I would always advocate for that, probably because most people that I would speak to. Uh, realistically speaking, I trust they that like they will make the practical. They'll figure that out. They'll find out. You know, they'll find an apartment in that in that state they want to move to. They'll you know they'll they'll borrow the money if they need to. Like I, I trust that people can make those decisions. Like I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't think people often need to be pushed to make conservative choices. They need to be pushed to make choices that feel riskier. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and and not all not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes it's it's better not to push someone in a risky position. But I think when it comes to the question that you're asking. I, I want, I, I'm, I'm tremendously in favor of people doing that degree that feels important to them, not, not safe, not something that's just going to pay the bills. So in that being said, um, I think, well, maybe I'll just say this first and then I'll see if how I, my answer ends. I think that most people tend to know in their gut somewhere what they want to do and not all the time but i think most people whoever's going to end up listening to this right now i think that that this listener already knows in the back of their mind the back of their throat somewhere in their chest somewhere they have a feeling that they know what this version of that thing is for them mm -hmm. so speaking to that i think much like what we're doing this morning on this fine you know 13th of november um i think having meaningful conversation about your experience, about anyone's experience is an integral part of making these choices, of understanding these choices, um, and of even having once made a difficult choice, say like entering you know, a graduate program or entering a different career path. I think these conversations are also important for kind of lubricating and keeping one stable within that because it's not as if the choice itself is a hard part once you've made the choice you're now you're in it now you have to live it so i do think to the end of your question you're talking about staying connected and stuff i think that's a massive a massively important part of anyone who's going to endeavor to do uh graduate work in something like the, in something social science related whether it's cultural anthropology philosophy psychology uh you know social sciences sociology anything like that i mean i think these are inherently uh you know, socially divine um, categories. Like, like they, they, they are fostered by the relationship we have with other people. And if your program ends up just being you alone in a room reading on a, on a screen, because nowadays we, we don't even get printouts because you're not going on campus to get your course reader anymore. Like exactly. if it's just gonna be you alone reading on a screen, even if it's the most meaningful literature, I mean, that, and that will help you. I mean, obviously part of why I chose to study philosophy and psychology is because I read books that changed my life. So it's not as if the reading is, is nothing. But if that's all you have, that's going to be really fucking hard. It's yeah, be really, really agreed. hard. Yeah, so I, I think, think it has been hard with because that's yeah. kind of the reality we're living in. So it, it has been hard. And yeah, I think you have a good way of kind of you have to push through it, right? There's always a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's doesn't but look like it in exists the way that yet. You did. Like have a conversation. Yeah. Like, and this is like that dumb. It's like I sound like a parent or like an after school counselor or something. But like, I think the integral thing that I need to remember all the time is like we need communion with friends or family or just mm -hmm. i mean yes we are friends to ourselves i, I think that I, I have the i you know i appreciate the socratic idea that you know all thinking is fundamentally a dialogue we have with ourselves it's it's if you are someone who, who has if you're alone and you're in good company that's a great sign but all that being said we need we need uh relationship and so i think for people that are doing this stuff right now whether it's having a Discord server and playing Minecraft with friends, or whether it's uh, having people that you trust and who all are vaccinated, and you go, you have coffee shop meetups and you talk about stuff. Like, I just think it's so helpful to have these life preservers, which is often what they end up feeling like. They feel like these people are, it's like, I like, I, it's so often nowadays where like I'll meet up with like either it's someone from class or whatever, and like we'll all like we'll go to a brewery or something and I'll sit down and it's like we all sit down in this slump. And then the first words that are usually out of our mouth is like, I was so exhausted, like kind of like right up until now, like I was yeah. just at the end of my tether and then we met up. Like, it's so important to have, and I'm not saying this diminutively because I think we still, 
academia is partly at fault for this. American ideology at large is at fault for this. But this mm -hmm. idea that to reach out for help is a, is a sign of weakness and that every, every human being should be constantly endeavoring to be this militant, self-preserving, you know, like tour de force. Like, I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I, I think that we, we come together and that's where we're the best human beings. So I think we should keep having conversations. I think we should keep experiencing art, you know, go see a movie, read a book, go to an art gallery. I mean, I don't, I don't do that shit, but I wish I did. And go with friends, <laughs> like go with people that you can talk with and like sharing your experience. I think that's what's going to save us in the end. And honestly, if you're lucky, which I don't think we have to be that lucky because I think most people that are going to do any of these greater programs in these social sciences, you're going to find people in those programs that are like you. Like you're, they're yeah. going to find people that they believe in and that who believe in them back. And that's huge. So, yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that social sciences does take. It's, it's, humane if that makes sense it's very humanizing um our entire <laughs> yeah. our entire idea of how we think and what we study is based on human integrity and historical relevance and just the theory of human science and and i think having those type of people surrounding you they're all going to want to create those connections um and i think that's yeah. something that's unique for our department um and for the interdisciplinary sciences as that is it is human and we are all human, unfortunately. So um, we can study <laughs> each other pretty much. Um, well, what is, what is your advice? If, you, if I asked you the same question, what would you tell someone going into this? Uh, someone looking down, you know, someone looking to maybe jump off the cliff that you've already jumped off and you're falling to, you know, whatever depths you might. So what would you say? Yeah, to I think just jump. Um, I took the jump. Um, it doesn't really feel like I jumped at all, but I think at some point I did end up jumping um which is crazy to think about because if you were to ask me a year ago what I wanted to do or where I was mm -hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize me I wouldn't recognize myself um because it all changes so freaking quickly and there's this analogy that I kind of kept in my head and I probably need to like let it go it's very unhealthy um but okay. we're a shark in a in a you got to be a shark in the, in the ocean. And that has what kind of has kept me going in terms of just like pushing forward. You just got to be that shark and you just kind of have to just take in everything as much as possible. Write those emails that you don't want to write, write the email that one have person. Have a kind of ferocity. Is that part of what you're describing? Yeah. You can be, especially, I feel like at my where I'm at right now in my degree stage and where I'm at academically, I kind of need to fight for what I want. Um, mm. And I may not know exactly what I want, but I understand where there's a tree line and I got to get to the tree line. It may not be one specific tree yet, but it's, there's a horizon that yeah, I'm You have your, you have your heading, you know, which way you're walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And sure. trying to keep that going. And then again, with just communication, I feel like, I've lost friends. I don't know if you've had the same experience through COVID, but yeah, I've lost majority of my friends. If you were, to, if I were to look back a year ago or even two years ago when COVID kind of started off, I had a very different friend group. I had a very different outlook on oh, life. Yeah. I had a very different, even political stance and just like how I viewed the world. And I feel like the academics have improved my way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. just through naturally studying life and researching and reading and and then taking in people who also have similar methods of how they view the world they may have different perspectives but they all view the world in a very large way and i think that is the most beautiful thing ever it, to be honest that is amazing to feel like there's a way to look at the world that's not fearful um, and to study mm -hmm. humans as a species, to study humans as a theory, as to study human, just to be human. And we forget that we, at the same time, we're an intellectual species, but at the same time, we are also still a species. And I think we are evolving so quickly and so fast. And we are, we have to sometimes take the time to like, look at us and be like, oh shit you know like we we are changing and that's why we have a lot of issues with traditionalism politics you, you know it's just 
change yeah change hurts and um unfortunately changes change is good even though it does hurt and so with covid um i found myself alone most of the time um and i think going to work and meeting you guys um meeting that whole group that teaching and being around kids and seeing how they're going through life they're teenagers they're young kids they're like i'm still working um at the high school and i'm dealing i'm working with 16 year olds 14 16 18 and they're in their their children and their adolescents trying to date trying to learn relationships trying to <laughs> right. be trying themselves to have fun and, trying yeah. yeah and they're trying to learn and it's just like it's and they're adapting so well but they're also struggling and so yeah. it's just kind of interesting to kind of watch that and i think that's it's just like we just kind of kind of keep moving it's the whole i don't want to be kind of like make a funny comment but it's like that one just keep swimming just keep swimming that's just kind of like motto yeah, no, no, you kind of have to keep yeah. keep going and it's a funny motto but it is a motto so no but i mean it, it speaks to resilience which i think these days perhaps i mean obviously i don't know there's some resilience that is needed at all times just to stay alive and uh <laughs> just keep keep uh keep finding life meaningful enough not to check out early but i mean like I think now in COVID more than ever, we need some little thing that's like, you know, a path is laid by putting one stone down at a time. You just have to find, you have to find your way of just being like, I can, I can, I can do it today and then I'll make it through today and then I can do it tomorrow. And then after a while, you, you find a pattern and, and you can sustain yourself. And I think that's why you and I are in agreement that all this is easier. I, mean, I think it is, a single individual can do it. It's just hard and it's meticulous and you have to find a way to live that, takes care of you enough but it's so much easier and i'm not just saying like for convenience sake but like me it's so much meaningfully easier if you can be blessed enough you know uh to have a a family that that fosters you or a group of friends that that nurtures you or or something along those lines or or a church or i don't care what it is really but some place that you feel um, that community you know that you're not alone yeah yes exactly yes i agree 100 percent. you need you need that you need that hype man, you know, you need someone to hype you up. Um, <laughs> it's good to have a hype man. I definitely it's, agree with You that. need yes. to have a hype. Yeah. You That's actually, I love that you it. said that. Cause one thing, I don't know, I don't know. I would love to find out. I mean, maybe this is not the right time for it, but so I'm not a person that responds well. Like if, if I'm in a gym setting or like something mm. like physically competitive, I, I found uh, not, it's not like, I mean, I've, I've known this for, I guess a few years, but I guess the jury was out for a while. I didn't, I didn't, I'd I'd never taken stock of how I responded to this, but I now know I'm not a tough love person. So like someone be like, come on, pussy. Like, like I do not respond to that stuff. Like it's not, it's not my method. Like I don't, I don't suddenly be like, I'm going to show that guy. Like that's not how I respond. What does invigorate me is, and this is going to sound like stupid. Maybe this makes me sound weak or something because, um, because I would love to be a person who could turn bullshit and, and, and like, and ugliness into positiveness. Like, I feel like maybe there's something to be said about someone who can take like getting shitty comments on Twitter and like turn that into like positive creative work. Like that's amazing for those people that can do that. For me, I need someone to kind of already tell me that I'm doing good work. And then I'm like, oh fuck, like, oh man, like that, that just gave me so much. Like if I'm at the gym and someone's like, hey man, like I love your, what your back look, whatever, some generic comment, like you're looking good. That I can ride that for like, three weeks. Like that'll be, I want to go to the gym more. I want to work out harder because I don't know. Cause it's like someone telling me like, yeah, you're doing it. Like you're just keep doing it. So I, I totally agree with you that we need hype people. We need someone to be like in your corner being like, yeah, fucking, I love that paper you wrote. It was so good. Like we need that. Yeah, no. And it makes you feel good. It makes you want to keep yeah. going. And it's exactly. And I getting that validation. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like also just in my, just recently I've been getting, papers peer edited and whatnot for grad applications and it's just a lot right. of criticism and it drains you like, <laughs> right. I, feel, yeah. I feel emotionally and there's some times so where hard. I'm driving and I'm like you know what am I even doing the right thing am I smart just enough to even be applying for these programs right yeah. yeah so it's kind of like do I even just des- do I am I even do I even deserve these positions do I am I smart enough right because you already have just- a critical voice in your own head so like having these other people be like yeah I don't know this this part feels a little reductive. And I feel like you over, you said this and you're just like, man, there's nothing. I didn't do it. Like, 
you need that positive fucking feedback too. It's exactly. really important. Yeah. And you yeah. don't, we don't get no that doubt. all the time. We forget that people no. need that. And I feel like now that I'm kind of getting criticized a lot when I'm doing peer editing, <laughs> I do a big job at like being like, you did so good here. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. You explained this super well. And then you go down and then right. I'm like, okay, but then I'm going to add some notes. Just like, Hey, right, touch up this look at that. these over. Yeah. yeah. Touch it up. You're doing great. Um, no, but need you to have need both sides. That. We need both sides. And I think having somebody that you care about though, that you think the world of to be your hype person is amazing. It's different yeah. if it's a stranger. It, it's the same thing. You need the stranger to hype you up as well. Everybody kind of, it's like when I'm walking down the street and someone's like, oh my God, I love your jeans. It makes you yeah, feel yeah. so much better about your outfit. It makes you feel totally. so much better about your day. It's just like the little things. But having somebody that you trust and you feel compassionate about and they hype you up and they give you great feedback and they're honest with you, you feel so much better because you know that they honest truth and we right. all need that so yes we do i want to thank okay. you again for meeting with me absolutely yeah. blessed to have you we need to go to the nutcracker so we need, we yeah, need to figure, we do. That, we we need to figure that one out um but i want to thank yeah, you wants to go i'm super stoked to go yeah yeah i need it we needed our friend neil for those listening he's a fantastic guy he's we need to reach out to him um figure out and yeah, or buy him well. a new phone or something i know stupid android who has an Android? No. But um, I don't know. All right. Well, thank you again. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Bye, Logan. Bye, Sophie.